Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come at this time in our service, and God, we, we just celebrate what you're doing here. We thank you, God, for the good news financially. We thank you for the opportunities that are open to us. We thank you for this team that's going to be going to Guatemala and representing you, Jesus, there to a village. Uh, we thank you for the believers that will already be in that village, the people that will already know you there. But what we really pray, God, that is the people in that village would discover that Jesus is the living water. And uh, while water conditions would improve there, we pray for success in the drilling of that well. Uh, we pray even more so for their spiritual health and well-being in that village. And thank you, God, that we have partners in Guatemala, uh, CHE members, people on the ground living there in these villages and leading to uh, improve health conditions, but also just leading to improve spiritual conditions there in these villages. Uh, we cherish those partners that we have. And uh, we would ask now, God, that you teach us as we study and pray for we ask it in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen? Amen. Well, this morning, as Dustin said earlier, we're going to actually start into a new series. And so I'll be introducing this series this morning. Uh, and to get started, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever lost a cell phone? Anybody ever lost a cell phone? What did that feel like? That was awful, right? Or, or how about this? And more of us can probably relate to this. Uh, how many of you have ever left your cell phone at home in the morning when you, when you went to work? You left it at home. Yeah, is that an awful feeling or what? Yeah, all day long we're thinking, oh, who's trying to reach me? Oh, think of the texts that I'm missing and oh, the tweets and the being able to catch up on Facebook and find out, you're doing all this at work, of course, and being able to find out what's, what's going on, yeah? All day long you kind of feel cut off, you feel disconnected. It's an uneasy feeling. You can't wait to get home and reconnect with your phone. It's like being a part of a living parable. To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It's like a man who lost his cell phone and when he finds it, he says, rejoice with me. I have found my phone. Yeah. We live in a different day, friends. We really do because of our devices. A day when information, things like texts and emails and tweets and Instagrams and snapshots, Snapchats, excuse me, contacts, calendars, maps, GPS, even locating yourself on the planet, practically everything in our lives are kind of wrapped up in these little devices. Cell phones, you know, tablets, uh, iPads, whatever. Um, in fact, there's a new word uh, that was entered into the New Oxford Dictionary in 2013, and that word was selfie. You've all heard of these. You've all done this. And, and uh, a selfie is a picture, of course, that you take of yourself, and uh, then you post it online for all of your friends who have forgotten what you look about. What? Yeah, okay, that's, I didn't, Dustin, you're not going to be doing the slides anymore. <laughs> You're done with that. <laughs> selfies are so popular, uh, they estimate that 93 million selfies are taken every day in North America. 93 million every day. In selfies, everybody looks fabulous. Everybody is always having a fabulous time because that's the way our lives are. We're all looking good and feeling good and just having a good time, right? Yeah, all the time. It's estimated that young adults will take 25,000 pictures of themselves before they die. 25,000 pictures, generally posing with what is called a duck face. Are you familiar with this? Yeah. 
There you go. That's the duck face. Kind of purse your lips together, you know, and you snap that selfie. A lot of people are concerned that technology is making us more self-obsessed, more narcissistic, if you will, than ever before. That could be, but uh, I, I kind of doubt that because I think people have always wrestled with the problem of self-obsession. That's always an issue because of our brokenness and our fallenness. I mean, think of it in previous centuries, uh, if you wanted a selfie, you got a painting. That's what you did. And, and people would pose for hours or they would pose for days and pay all kinds of money for one selfie, just one, right? And the folks have kind of wondered how many pictures of the Mona Lisa would we have if selfies had been around in her day? And uh, she always had kind of a weird <laughs> expression on her face. And I, I can imagine her with the duck face, you know, doing this. Uh, we're launching into this series where we want to talk about digital living because of the devices that we've created, the smartphones, the tablets, the laptops, the TVs, etc., the way we use them. Everything is changing because of this. Our relationships are being changed because of these devices. Our brains, actually, research demonstrates that our brains are actually uh, being rewired by the use of these devices. How we navigate, how we research, how we study, how we educate, how we communicate, all of these things are changing. So I thought it would be helpful if we reflect a bit on these changes together. A lot of times in churches, churches will start out by warning you know, telling you what's wrong with something and, ooh, you know, and, and so on and so forth. I don't really want to start there. I'd like us to start with wonder instead of warning. I mean, these devices are pretty remarkable. Our creative God is remarkable. I mean, take a walk, look outside. Just remarkable how creative our God is. Uh, and, and think about this too. In uh, the way that God has made human beings to image him, to be like him, some of the things that we create are pretty remarkable. Think about it. In previous centuries, most people were illiterate. Or if you could read, uh, you could go through most of your life maybe only seeing one book, maybe never seeing a book other than the one that was used to teach you to read. Uh, only a few people had that ability, that capability given to them. And yet with smartphones, tablets, and laptops, I can read, I can read my Bible anywhere, anytime because of this device. What is more, I have access to books. I have access to magazines. I have access to research and to journals that I would never otherwise have access to. In fact, the greatest thoughts of the greatest minds in human history, I literally have at my fingertips with my smartphone. I can listen to the greatest music ever composed at any time. Uh, you know, whether you think that's Mumford and Sons or whether you think that's Mozart, doesn't, you, you can listen to it anytime, anywhere that you want to listen to it. I have access to people all around the planet, people that I love, people that I care about, or people I don't know. I've never met them before. And I can actually FaceTime with them in real time. I can see them and have a conversation with them. Absolutely remarkable. I have access to information that in previous centuries was not contained in the greatest libraries in all the world, but I have it all on my cell phone. I just Google it, and I can get it. With my smartphone, I can perform uh, a nearly infinite number of calculations. You couldn't do this 50 years ago. Anybody remember a slide rule? Yeah, and the time involved in using a slide rule. We don't need them anymore. 
Uh, I can locate myself wherever I am on the planet and get to wherever I want to go. Does anybody remember paper maps or atlases? You don't have those anymore, usually. Uh, and what's even better about that, my wife Holly can't say to me, Dwayne, God only knows where we are. Why don't you stop and ask someone for directions? Because now, not only God knows, but Siri knows. And we can get there. She can help me get there. And I can use my smartphone to order a ride. We did this when, this summer when Holly and I were in Europe using Uber. I mean, to get around cities that were strange to us and to navigate these cities and navigate them well, it was very, very easy. I can use uh, my smartphone to monitor my heartbeat, spy on my kids, check my finances, shop online, remotely control my TV, or remotely control the HVAC in my home. And if I think I'm getting too dependent on my smartphone, there is, I'm not making this up, there is actually an app out there, one of the more than a million apps that currently exist, there's an app out there to help me discover if I'm too dependent on my apps. <laughs> Telling you the truth. But thank God for technology. What an amazing day in which to live and to be able to use these devices and have these things available to us. And I say this partly because a lot of folks here uh, in our church are involved in uh, scientific research, scientific exploration, engineering, technology, and sometimes churches come across as always opting to be against something. You know, that's bad, stop it. And uh, we don't want to do that here. In fact, we are grateful for the many advantages of these devices that we are using more and more and more. Uh, did you know that the word technology, such an interesting word, uh, comes from two ancient Greek words. Tecton is one and logos is the, is the other. Tecton is the Greek word for craftsman or builder. Or one, the idea is one who brings structure. When God created the earth, when he said, let there be light, he was acting as a tecton. He was creating. He was being a craftsman. Uh, Jesus, through whom all things were created, is a tecton, to be sure. In fact, when Jesus became a human being and he entered into a profession, uh, we tend to describe that profession as being that of a craftsman or possibly a stone builder. And it's the very word that's used in Mark 6, 3 to describe Jesus. The people there say, is this not the tecton? Is this not the craftsman, the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? That's the word. Um, now, Jesus' uh, point is Jesus used technology of his day. Jesus was a techie. He was using what was available in that day. The first part of the word that we use so frequently, tecton, uh, is part of who Jesus is. The other word, logos, you're familiar with this, uh, is the Greek word. Uh, and it means, of course, it can mean a, a variety of nuanced things. It can mean reason. It can mean understanding. It can mean a, a verbal expression representing an idea. The Greeks love this word and, and this idea, and they would refer to the logos as having the ability to bring understanding, to bring reason and rationality and, uh, to a particular situation, bring truth to a particular situation. And so they personalized this idea of the logos. They actually deified it, and they worshiped this thing called the Logos, divine reason, if you will. And that's why when John begins his gospel, he's very, being very deliberate. He's relating to his culture as he presents to the culture who Jesus is. And he says, in the beginning, he's hearkening back to Genesis. But he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. That word, of course, is Logos. In the beginning was the, the Logos. And the Logos was with God and the Logos was God. That's Jesus, of course. 
And so one of the reasons, understand, that we marvel, human beings marvel at technology. The reason human beings are awestruck and sometimes amazed by, by what can be done through it and what's created with technology, Facebook, Apple, Instagram, Google, Snapchat, whatever, and, and the mysteries of the cloud. Ooh, the cloud. You've got all this stuff out there on the cloud that you can get, and apparently others can get it too, but, you know, it's, it's out there on the cloud. How cool. But the reason these things just mystify and amaze us and we find ourselves drawn to them is that it reflects the fact that we're made in this creative image of God. And so when we create, human beings create something new, a device, a technology, uh, we're just drawn to it. Oh, that's cool. Let me see how that works. Let me know more about that, you see. It's, it's part of how we actually reflect being made in the image of God. Um, when God said, let there be light and there was light, God was the ultimate technologist, ultimately. And all of this, you understand, happens in and through the creative genius of Jesus that's been poured into human beings. The ultimate expression is Jesus, the ultimate expression of the image of God. You know, we cannot even say the word technology without actually thinking of Jesus, or at least we shouldn't. Because he's the master craftsman. He's the master expression, the master stroke of revealing to us who our God is. So in the beginning was the tweet, and the tweet was with God, and the tweet was God, and the tweet became flesh and twittered a while among us. That is Jesus expressing who God is. If you're involved in technology, I'd like to just say to you, keep going, be daring, be brilliant. You are doing, in a very real sense, the work that God himself does, bringing something into being, you see. Uh, not creating it out of nothing, ex nihilio, which is the way he creates, but we take what we have and we put it you know, through the noodle here and we come up with, what can this do? How can this be used? How can this help? people. And it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I would just encourage you, if you labor in the uh, industries of technology, then try, fail, pick yourself up, try, keep going. Don't stop. Keep enhancing the world. Keep improving things for people. Some of you are involved in biotechnology, and I'll bet some of you are right now wearing uh, a Fitbit, right? Anybody here got a Fitbit? Yeah, see, yeah, some of you have those on. That helps you track how you're doing with your body. Uh, it helps people, it can, it can help you live longer and live better and, and live richer, more fulfilled lives. Uh, if this is what you're doing, hey, keep, keep going, you know, make them better. That's wonderful. Some of you are involved in educational technology. They have now these classes online called MOOCs. Have you heard of these? Uh, massive open online courses. I mean, you can now study almost anything in its entirety just online. It's, it's incredible. Uh, it brings enlightenment, education, wisdom, knowledge to millions of people who would otherwise not have access to any of this. Multitudes of languages. To people who do that kind of stuff, man, more power to you. Keep, keep growing those industries. Some of you are involved in transportation technology, airplanes, rockets, satellites, even cars. We have cars now that drive themselves. You know that. Um, we're, we're not able to buy them just yet. But we will be. I don't know if that'll happen in my lifetime. I've only got a couple of years. But some of you, you know, might actually have a situation where you'll have a car and you just get in and go, uh, Siri, take me to blah, blah, blah. And she will take you to blah, blah, blah. And you'll sit back and work on your tablet, I guess. Or you'll enjoy the scenery. I'm not sure what you'll do. We'll have to find something to do. 
Uh, or, you know, we'll have cars uh, like Tesla makes. Woohoo! Yeah. If you're making a car that can go 200 miles an hour in six seconds and it's friendly to the environment and you'd like to give it to a church pastor to show how much God is pleased with this technology, I'm just letting you know I'm, I would be there to serve if you want to talk to me after the service. It, point is in all this, it's, it's an amazing time to live. It really is. Amazing things are happening and being invented and becoming available. And I hope the first thing we do as a result of this series is we say, thank you, God. Thank you that we get to use these devices, that we get to live in this day where in so many ways these devices make our lives better. And if you're somebody who is involved in the development of technology then, or you know somebody who is, cheer them on, encourage them. Great things are being developed and have been developed. And I, I hope you learn how to use technology to love God better because you can there's an app. I have it on my phone. I bet almost everybody here has it on your phone. Uh, version. How many of you have the version Bible? Quite a few of you. Okay. You've downloaded it. This is uh, actually one of the most popular apps in the entire world. Apparently, over 200 million people have downloaded this onto their uh, devices, onto their smartphone in particular. You can get a verse of the day. You can get a whole Bible reading plan that will help you read through it. It'll, it'll uh, ping you every day and tell you, here's the reading for today. And you can read through the Bible in a year or two years or what have you. Think about this. Folks who live in parts of the world where Christians are persecuted where once upon a time, the only way to even get them, the word of God, was to smuggle it in at, uh, at, real, uh, personal, uh, at a personal price. You could, you could be captured. You could be put in jail for this. Now the word of God is on a cell phone, for crying out loud. It can't be stopped. It really can't be stopped. Oh, that's a huge victory for the word of God and for the kingdom of, of God. I have a, another little app on my phone. It's called Pray As You Go. Have you heard of this? It's a, actually made by Jesuits. It's very interesting. And I've used it, oh, half a dozen times probably. And I will occasionally use it when I think to uh, a lot of times in the morning. It takes about 15 minutes or less. It starts with bells. Bing, you know, bing, and it's to calm you down, get you to slow down, put thoughts out of your mind as much as you can, and just prepare yourself to have a conversation with and to listen to God. So it starts with bells, and then there's a classical worship song. It'll be something that Bach or Mozart or somebody has composed that's worshipful. It's, it's worship music, and that, too, kind of calms you down, and it'll be very beautifully performed. And then there's a passage of Scripture that will be read by an Englishman or an Englishwoman, so it sounds very intelligent. And, uh, and then there's a, a pause and a time to pray. And it's kind of guided prayer. It's very helpful. It's very, very well done. And then there's a reading of a passage of scripture with some reflections on it. Very brief, but very, uh, very well done. And uh, because they, they go back to that scripture. After it's read the first time, then there's time to pray. Then they read it again for you to reflect on it. It's called Pray As You Go. You can check it out. See if you like it. Uh, even for us as a church, we get to be on, in on this a little bit. You know, our sermons are podcast. I don't know if you know that, but our, our sermons are podcasted. You can get them. And you probably didn't know this, but every month about 5,000 downloads occur. Did you know that? Yeah, I just made that number up. That would be a lot. <laughs> yeah, I just made it up. It sounded better than five. Um, but I don't really know what the number is. But uh, 5,000 sounds pretty good. <laughs> 
But here's the thing. Churches all over the country where there's teaching around the word of God and, and most of these churches are putting it out there. It's available and this stuff gets shared. And I know we've got a Bible study in Ukraine that uses messages from here. Uh, we had a Bible study out in Paonia that was using messages from here. And uh, so, you know, here we are, we, we, from Paonia to Ukraine. You, you just never know who's actually tapping in and making use of whatever church's teaching materials that are available. That's a, that's a fantastic thing. This enables us to... to uh, be able to just draw closer to God by using these kinds of things. It enables the gospel to spread. Uh, it helps us to connect with people that we love. It's, uh, it's making us better connected, smarter people, and hopefully better educated. So, so here's the conclusion. Technology is an unmixed, unmitigated, unambiguous force for good that does nothing but enrich our lives and make us better, right? <laughs> I wish that was true, but that's not really the case, is it? I mean, technology is fabulous, but because we are fallen people, sinful people, broken people, we often use good things in bad ways. And that's more the whole story. Uh, there is a, an old story in the book of Genesis, Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. Many of you are familiar with it. Many of you have read it many times. And some of you remember that that story uh, is about what can happen to human technology and human cleverness when it is separated from life being lived in service to God. Bad things happen. And uh, the truth is, friends, we actually live in an era that you could just say is the Tower of Babel. You know, we've got so many great devices and things that we can do and all kinds of technologies that too often are used uh, in uh, contradiction to living life with God. Folks who research this tell us about some of the ways that social media and technology can be disruptive to our lives, even to our brains in terms of brain research around this, to our health and to relationships. And in this series, we're going to look at both. We want to we be grateful for and celebrate the amazing things in technology, but we don't want to be naive. We want to also look at how these things can actually negatively impact us. Some of these researchers warn us that when we misuse technology, it can be very addictive. You think you have any issues of addiction with technology? One researcher points out how much of our social media encourages us to compare, constantly be comparing ourselves to others. And we're going to do a whole message on this. Comparison, you understand, is hugely destructive for the most part. It can damage our capacity for empathy. It can also make us restless and mask our spiritual neediness. As we, we feel good about ourselves if you choose the right people to compare yourself to, right? Boredom is a huge, huge spiritual and emotional problem in our day. And our devices promise us that they will make boredom go away. That's one of the great addictions of these devices, and this is why if you're at a restaurant and you're watching people, they can even be a couple sitting there, but they both got their phones out, right? And they're dinking around with their phones. Or you're in a grocery line or a bus station or the DMV or you're at the airport waiting in line or you're just standing on a street corner waiting for a light to change. What's everybody doing? Yeah, they're looking at their devices, sitting in a lovely park on a park bench. What, what are they? They're looking at their devices. And... Um, because that way, too, they don't have to do boring stuff like think or talk or any of that kind of stuff. 
We live in a different world. One study found that the average eight-year-old spends seven hours a day looking at screens. And that's going up as students study in schools that make uh, you know, iPads or notebooks or laptops available to them. That's only going up. It's not going down. I really don't think God made eight-year-olds to look at screens seven or more hours a day. I, I, I don't. Now, can you learn great things from that? No, sure you can. Absolutely. You know, the average young adult gets 167 texts a day. Wow, that is incredible. You know that uh, on average, the uh, North American adult checks their, their phone uh, 85 times a day. 85 times a day. It becomes like this attention-sucking, grabbing magnet. We're always thinking about it. We're always going to it. Researchers are talking now about what they call the phantom vibration syndrome. Have you heard of this? The PVS. And this is where people think their cell phone is vibrating, but it's actually not, and they're becoming anxious about it. Oh, did my phone just, did it just vibrate? Oh, no, I guess not. You know, but they're, and they're getting anxious that they're missing messages or connection or some update on Facebook, and it's bothering them, mentally bothering them and disturbing them. <laughs> These devices can take over our lives. We be, can become dependent on them. And here's a quick little assessment device. You can do this on your own. There are actually a lot of these questions out there to see if you might have a tech addiction. Just answer these questions for yourself. Little assessment questions that researchers have come up with. Number one, do you sleep with your cell phone on your nightstand or next to your bed? How many of you are guilty of that? Oh, nobody. That's really wonderful. Yeah. Okay, how about number two? Do your friends or your spouse complain about how much you're always looking at one of your screens? Now, this is obviously a problem with the spouse, not, not a problem for you. But if that happens, you might have an addiction issue. Number three, do you check your phone first thing in the morning and last thing at night? All of these are indicators, some more or more than others, that you have a, a possible addiction. Do you feel bummed when you forget to bring your cell phone into the bathroom? Ah, <laughs> yeah, there you go. How about this one? Have you practiced the art of secretly texting while maintaining eye contact? A few of you have, yeah. It's a weird thing with technology. We think we're using it, but it has a weird way of turning around and using us. It's just the truth. We think it's, it's serving us, but we end up serving it. That's the way of idolatry, you understand. We think of idols as just being a problem way back in the day, right? Well, not so. It's actually always been a problem for the human heart, this thing of idolatry. Because you, you see, and we've talked about, we've studied this before, we are creatures made to worship. All of us are worshipers. Atheists worship. People of faith, regardless of their faith, all we're, we're all worshipers. We're made to worship. And we find, uh, therefore, things to worship. Uh, and we're always looking for something that will solve our problems, something that will help us manage our lives, something that will give us meaning, something can, that can distract us from the pain, from the boredom, from the loneliness, and we will tend to worship that. We will tend to devote ourselves to that. We will give time to that. We will spend money on that. There's a researcher that I'll be mentioning from time to time because in reading some of the things that she's written and she's done some TED Talks, 
Uh, I've really been impressed with uh, some of her observations. Her name is Sherry Turkle. She's a researcher at MIT, a sociologist. And um, she, she says some fascinating things. She finds that part of our growing attachment to technology is that it seems to promise satisfaction in three areas of human desire or human need, which she says are these. She says, we have this, this built-in desire or almost a need to have everyone's attention. And our devices, you know, really fan the flames of that. <clears throat> she says that we, we have this desire or built-in need to want to be heard, always be heard, always know that people are hearing you. She says we have this built-in desire or need to never want to feel alone. Now, you think about those three things, these observations. I don't know if she's a Christian or not. In fact, I haven't heard her say anything that would make me think that she is uh, or necessarily make me think that she isn't, but just some interesting observations of hers. It occurs to me that nothing, absolutely nothing that we can make, nothing that's out there can actually satisfy those desires or if, as she calls them, needs that human beings seem to have. To have everyone's attention, are you kidding? To always be heard, to never be alone, and yet think about social media and what it promises. As I was thinking about this, something that came to my mind uh, was Psalm 139, um, which I read not too terribly long ago, and that's probably why it came to mind. In Psalm 139, the psalmist is reflecting on his relationship with God. What is it like? And he characterizes it in such an interesting way. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. It's interesting. Apparently, we have God's attention all the time. How interesting is that? And I might add, he's the only one whose attention you have all the time. He's the only one who loves you that way to always be paying attention, watching what you're doing, what your decisions are, what situations you get yourself in. This is remarkable. In verse uh, four, it says, you are familiar with all my ways, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. That's funny. Apparently, God always hears us. He's not just observing us. He's always listening, always. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He's everywhere with us. If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. I'm never alone. <laughs> if I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The psalmist describes his relationship with Almighty God, with the Heavenly Father in such a way that he understands that he always has the attention of this God. 
He understands that uh, his prayers are always heard. And he understands that he is never, ever alone. The three great human desires, they're really only satisfiable in God our Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. That's the only place. But we will, we will keep inventing devices that would lead us to believe that they could satisfy these desires. When in fact, many thousands of years ago, it was the psalmist himself who came to understand that, you know, I do have these desires and I do find them met in my heavenly father. That is such a rich profound observation. Jesus' followers know that only God can connect with my soul in that way. Now, we forget this. We need to be reminded of this. But these three deep desires, everyone to to have attention, to always be heard, and to never be alone, those are longings of the human heart that will only be, only be satisfied in Jesus, not our devices. But if I'm going to connect with God, here's the big caveat to this. Sometimes I have to disconnect from my devices. That's the thing. There's a verse in the Old Testament. Excuse me, it's a very familiar verse. It comes from Psalm 46.10. This is what it says. It says, be still and know that I am God. Why don't we say this together? You can read it there on the screen. Let's let's say it together. Think about what they're saying. Say it with me. Be still and know that I am God. I would submit to you that being still is probably harder for us than any, maybe any previous generation in history. We we might be better at literacy. We might be better at education and communication and connecting and leveraging technology than ever before. But we kind of suck at being still because we don't have to anymore. Great blessing in technology, but here's one of the great risks. We don't have to be still anymore. I can take my device with me into the bathroom. I can take it anywhere. I can distract myself anytime, anywhere, any way that I want almost with my devices. We're losing the muscle, this muscle of learning to be still because we don't have to use it anymore. And I would just say to you as a Christ follower, you know, our our device can connect us to the Father if we're reading Scripture or using it in a a real healthy way. It It can also distract us from connecting with the Father. Which does it do for you? Now, of course, it's never just one or the other. That means we have to exercise discernment when we use these devices. And we have to use them for good and not for evil. Um, I'll tell you how dependent we are on this. One writer talks about these devices and and says that they are for us what a pacifier is for a six-month-old. That's a pretty good metaphor, probably. You know, how we use them. They'll give me that, you know, let me me just suck on that for a while, you know, because now I'm just, I'm kind of satisfied. I'm doing what I want to do, you see. Some researchers did a study and they asked people, not making this up, Would you rather be still with your thoughts, was the one option, or administer an electric shock to your body? 
That was the, those were the questions put to this group of people. One-fourth of the women chose to administer an electric shock. Like, it was like a little cattle prod, only for humans. Two-thirds of the men said, shock me. <laughs> Hit me. You know, I don't want to sit and be alone with just my thoughts. You do understand, right? That's insane. But that's many of us. Many of us. So I've written a little poem just to help you remember this. Don't shock yourself with a cattle prod. Be still and know that I am God. (laughs) I didn't say it was a good poem. (laughs) I mean, for crying out loud, are you serious? Rather than be alone with our thoughts, give me a device. And let me stay stimulated, whether that's in a healthy sense or not, you see. These are great devices. They can do great things. What are they doing for you? How are you using them? Are you using them to bring the kingdom of Jesus more deeply into your life? They can be used that way. Or are you using them to keep a distance between yourself and your loving Heavenly Father, your Savior Jesus, His Spirit? Or do you use them to keep a distance between you and people you should be connecting with? You know, I've said before, just because you have 17,000 friends on Facebook (laughs) doesn't for a second mean you have any friends. It just means you have a lot of voyeuristic people watching you, you see. This week, I've got an assignment for us. Now, this is an introductory sum, uh, message to this uh, series that we're kicking off, and, and uh, we'll be looking at various texts that uh, help us to process how to use devices and use them well and, and uh, how to grow in our character. We want to become more like Jesus. Uh, this week, I've got an assignment for you, very simple. Why don't you take this phrase from Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God, and use it to exercise that muscle um, of being still. You, you could do it this way. Some people have used this this way before. You know, you just repeat that phrase over and over. Be still and know that I am God. And then just kind of pause and be still and know that I am God. And give it some time to kind of just circulate in there. And then say it again, but remove a word or a phrase. Be still and know that I am. You know, just drop the word God. And sit there and be quiet for a bit. Listen to God. Is he saying anything to you as you do this? Be still and know. Hmm. And think about that. Be. Live, you see, in the presence of God. And you can do that multiple times. It's it's just a way of exercising the muscle of what it means. Because I think many of us are almost lost the ability to, well, what does that even mean to be still? Okay, I'm being still. You know, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, that was five seconds, you know. It's hard. It is hard for many of us. This is one little exercise that people have used, just meditating on and thinking about Psalm 4610. And obviously, the objective there is to be asking yourself, as you do that little exercise, is God saying anything to you in that exercise? Are you learning something maybe about yourself, maybe just how difficult this is for you? Or maybe God uh, opens some little window into uh, his character. 
his being, his love for you? Why would he even tell you to be still and know that he's God? What's the backdrop of that? You see, so it's a great exercise. Be still. Being still has become pretty tough for us. Uh, but if I am not still, I would say to you, then you will not know. It says, be still and know. The prerequisite is to be still. If I'm not still, I can't really pray, not very well. Now, here's the other part of this assignment. You'll like this even less. Um, this week, take a, take a day, uh, a tech Sabbath, and just unplug. Is there a day where you could do that? Some of you are going to say, I, there's really not. Well, then take a half a day. Find a period of time, a significant period of time where you can unplug. Figure out your schedule. No screens during that time. Turn off the cell phone. Close up the laptop. Turn off the TV. No texts, no emails, no phone calls, no show, uh, shows to watch. That's the other thing. I mean, we're being bombarded right now with the technology that lets us watch any television show, any movie on our smartphone, on our tablet, or, or on our 50-inch you know, flat-screen TV. The question isn't when and where. The question is just how big do you want the screen to be? Amazing. Take a day and, and unplug. Take a tech Sabbath and disconnect. Take a long walk in the gorgeous outdoors before it snows. Read a good book. Spend some time reading the scriptures and letting God speak to you. Talk to some people that you love. Write down some of your thoughts. That used to be called a journal. People had these devices. They were called pens. And they would actually put ink on a page and they would write their thoughts down and go back to them and reflect on them. We don't do this anymore. Find a day to be still this week. And I would challenge you to tell somebody what your day is. That way they won't be texting you and trying to get you. They'll know that this is your day off from the, taking a tech Sabbath. But they can also hold you accountable. They can pray for your blessing in this experience. Just one day, unplugged, shut down, closed up devices. And maybe you want to declare some zone in your home, a screen-free zone. Holly and I have talked about having our dining room table where just, just the two of us now. And so we sit there and, you know, let's have that be a, a screen-free zone where we have to talk to each other. Because sometimes you won't talk to your spouse unless you have to. Am I right? <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. And, you know, that's another approach at this. Make the family room a screen-free zone for a period of time. See how that goes over. But put down the screens so you can pay close attention to God and to each other. That's the objective here. Uh, there was an online post, and we'll stop with this. There was an online post by a mother of uh, five-year-old twin boys, okay? And she was talking about how technology makes it, at least for her, very difficult to just be with them. In other words, when she's even watching them or, you know, they're, they're playing or what have you, she's just prone to be, you know, checking what, what's the latest thing happening on her Facebook page and, you know, out there, you know, on the net, what have you. And uh, so she ran a little experiment. She said she decided to take 30 minutes just watching the boys play in the room with them and see how many times they would look up uh, to see if she was watching them because she said they're always doing this. And sometimes these little five-year-old boys would say, Mom, you know, not the phone, me, us kind of a deal. They would notice that she's just always connected, you know. And so this was her little experiment. And she said every time they looked up, she put a little mark on a piece of paper, she wanted to kind of know how many times they were checking her out. And, and this is what that piece of paper looked like when she was done. 28 marks in a 30-minute period. 
And then she wrote this. She said, 28 times my children would have wondered if the World Wide Web was more important than them. 28 times my boys would have not received the attention most adults are searching for. 28 times my boys would have questioned if they were alone emotionally. 28 times my kids would have been reassured that who you are online is what really matters. In a world where we are accepted as who people perceive us to be and not who we really are. In a world where validation comes from how many followers we have. In a world where quality time with loved ones is being replaced by isolation and text messages from the other room. I beg you, she says, to be different. Please put down your technology and spend some time with your family and loved ones. And I would add with God. The next generation of children is counting on us to teach them to be adults. Don't be too busy on social media. You never know who is watching and what message you are sending. And then I found it a little bit ironic because that's how she ended her plea, this charge that she was giving, in this case, to parents in particular and to just people uh, in relationships. And she said, uh, she said this, please send this to all your friends on Facebook. <laughs> Somehow... That's ironic, (laughs) very ironic, but she makes a good point. We can't connect with our children. We can't connect with each other, and God knows we can't connect with him when we are wed to our devices. Friends, we've got to learn to unplug in order to plug in to God and to each other. We just came through a series about connecting how important, how essential, how vital that is to our spiritual well-being. Well, you know, devices can help us connect or they can hurt us. Which one is it for you? So, um, bow your heads with me. You know, here's the thing. One of the reasons Christians gather like this around the world in so many different places and the expressions of their worship looks different depending on their culture But one of the reasons we do this is we know for certain that when we gather together like this, God is present with us. He is here. And he is speaking. And he is working. When we read Psalm 139 to you, was God saying anything to you? Is there anything, anything at all that God would want you to do as we enter into a series reflecting about the devices that we use? That might be worth a conversation if you're here with someone today. That might be worth a conversation over lunch. Is there anything that God wants you to do? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your patience, for your forgiveness, for your grace, all these things that come to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. We understand, God, that the relationship we have with you, the forgiveness that we experience from you, it it comes to us through the work, through the life, through the death, through the resurrection of Jesus, our Savior. And we want to do the things, God, and enter into ways of living that more deeply connect us to you and to each other. And so give us discernment, Father. Father, we thank you for the technology available at our disposable, in our, in our hands. We, we thank you for that. But we also know, God, that we can corrupt it. 
And so in the next few weeks ahead, help us as we examine this, this matter of digital living. And help us to get good at using it for good. Using it in ways that honor Jesus Christ, that develop his character in us. For we ask this in his name. Amen.